0: Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Amen, everybody. How are you today? Yeah, that video fires me up, man. I am really fired up to be here today. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And if you're a guest with us today, we want to just say a huge thank you for being with us here Man, there's nothing that means more to us when folks check us out for the first time. And even if you are checking at us out online for the first time, thank you as well. We love... Hey, can we give it up for our online family real quick? Give it up for them. Thank you, guys. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for being with us today. Um, hey, before I jump in to the message today, I want to remind you that Easter is one month from today. Now, for some of you, you're like, okay, I need to go get some stuff. But for us, it's like the Super Bowl is coming, all right? For those of us who are Christians, this is when we all, this is our like holiest of holy days. And so I want to tell you about it real quick. We've got five opportunities for you to gather. Uh, Friday night, Good Friday, 7 o'clock right here. Uh, we'll be celebrating the Lord's uh, Supper uh, as well at the end of that service. Also at 6 on Saturday. And then the three options that we always have on Sunday. Now listen to me, if you are, if this is your regular service, the second or the third, those are our two most full services by a long shot. We are trying to keep things spacious and safe as always. That's why your rows are so far apart. One year ago, we were opening this building and this place was jammed with human beings in every crevice that we could have for every service that we had. We were parking people out in the woods back in the, y'all remember this, those of you who are here, literally we were parking people out in the woods because we didn't have any place to put people. We had folks jammed, like on the, like it was everywhere. And we were like, got to add services, got to make it go. But, but things changed, obviously. And we want to make sure that people are staying safe and, 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 and are comfortable. Um, so that's why we're doing five gatherings. So those of you uh, who, this is home for you, LifePoint's your home, you've been here for a while. If on Easter Sunday you would choose any of the other options but this one right here, that would be a real favor to us because we want to reach people who are far from God. And I think a lot of them are going to show up on Sunday, that Sunday, Easter Sunday, and we want to see God do crazy good stuff in their lives. Amen, everybody? All right, so we're in between series. And the other night I was laying awake, middle of the night. I do that often. The older I get, the more often I do it. Can I get a witness, somebody? And I was like, Lord, what do you want us to say this weekend? And uh, he dropped this message. I preached it about five or six years ago, actually, on this date. Uh, I've made it new. I've, I've freshened it up. But this is what I felt like I was supposed to talk about. I don't usually grab old sermons and preach them. But when I do, I want to grab one like this. Just, just because I want it to um, help people and inspire people. So I want to start out. We're talking about no other name today. But I want to start out this message by talking about my name. My name is Daniel. Most of you call me Danny. My name is Daniel Troy Rivers. I don't know why my mom named me that, except that she liked the name Troy. That's what she told me. So I'm glad she named me Daniel and not Troy. That's just my opinion. If your name is Troy, it's awesome. It's my middle name, too. Um, they told me, they're like, what's wrong with Troy, bro? You want to come at me, man? Um, I, I was an oops baby, they said. They were not planning for me, uh, but God apparently was, so here I am. Can I get an amen on that with somebody? Right? Some of you are oops babies too, you know what I'm talking about. They were hoping for a girl, they were going to name Bethany, but instead I came out, so they named me Daniel. It would not have been cool if they would named me Bethany. Anyways, like we're sticking with that name, right? That's my name. In Hebrew, Daniel means God is my judge, which is ominous, man. I was like, why does it have to be all judgy, mom? Why you give me a name where God is my judge? Nobody feels like, like, anyways... Um, my identity's tied up in my name, in that name, not not in a spiritual sense, but in a literal sense. Is is there a Rivers here, present, right? I tried to make a joke, a key and peel joke earlier. Nobody got it, so I didn't do it this time. My credibility and my reputation are in that name. My authority is in that name in that when I buy a house or we buy a car, I have to sign my name. Uh, It's the authority to go ahead and make that transaction. Ask my name, Rivers. My family will carry that name. My girls will until they're 30 and I release them to be married to somebody of my choosing. Come on, dads. Are you with me on this? Dads of girls. Uh, my legacy is in that name, right? Daniel Rivers. It's a solid name, I think, I hope. Um, but it has limitations. A matter of fact, it has a lot of limitations. Uh, it won't get me everywhere. It won't get me in to see the president. It won't even get me in to see, like, one of our local councilmen. Come on, y'all. It won't get me backstage to a good concert. It it won't get me invited to prestigious or exclusive events. It has limitations, and I, I hate to tell you this, but so does yours, right? Your name does as well. And here's the thing, and sometimes in life, as believers, I can learn to sort of live within the limitations of what my own name can get me, right? And, and and just settle in for what my own name can produce without realizing that there is another name that is filled with hope and restoration and power that is way beyond my own name. And the way I like to say it, it, it the name of Jesus is on a how never level. You know what I'm saying? Anybody with me on? Any, okay. Um, we're talking, of course, about the name of Jesus. And the Bible says there is no other name higher than the name of Jesus. There is no other name greater than the name of Jesus. There is no power on earth greater than the power that is in the name of Jesus. And we are entering into the Easter season. And so I just want to go into it. Into this season with a clear picture of who Jesus is. And why his name is higher than every other name, and why his name is so revered, and why his name is so powerful, and why today, billions of people around this planet are gathered under the banner of the name of Jesus. Why is that? Let's talk about it. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. This text is written by Paul to a church in a town called Philippi. And this particular part of the chapter, he's writing to some people who are creating disunity in the church, and, and they're causing some chaos. And so he's telling them, and listen, stop that. Here's what I want you to do." instead." And he wants to give them an example of what humility looks like. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, "In your relationships with one another, have the say this with me, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature, God, Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So just so you know what this last part means, like if you were a famous person, oftentimes you would probably be tempted to say, do you know who I am? Can I get that table over there? I know there are people sitting there, but we want to sit there. I'm so-and-so. And And a lot of times you would use your own name, your own fame to your advantage. The police pull you over. Do you know who I am? And sometimes they're like, because of who you are, I'm going to write you a fatter ticket than I was going to, right? Right? So this, Jesus has the rights, the power, the name above all names, but he doesn't use it to his own advantage, Paul says. Rather, verse 7, he made himself, say this with me, he made himself nothing. Come on, say that with me. Uh, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature. Remember, he is in every way, he is in very, he's equal with God. He, he, he is God. Right, That's what Paul says, but he makes himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Just to be clear what Paul is saying here, the great God of heaven has come down to this earth and made himself nothing. The, the literal meaning is he empties himself. Now, to be clear, he isn't emptying himself of his deity, but he is, he is, instead he is adding a new nature which he chooses servant. He doesn't subtract the divine nature. He adds human nature. So I want you to picture the Christmas season we just came through. Some of you have amazing nativity scenes. Maybe you got it at Pottery Barn or some cool place. Picture what's happening, the scene in Bethlehem think of Mary holding baby Jesus in her arms. He's helpless, it seems. He's dependent. He's vulnerable. But Hebrews 1 says that 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 baby is the eternal God who, in the same moment that he nurses at his mother's breast, is upholding the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3 says. That That is crazy. God became a man is what we're talking about here. God left a throne... For a manger, Jesus came to earth, and he got over himself, and he was the one person who didn't have to, but he did. This is what Paul is saying here. So Paul is setting up this idea for the Philippians, because they're at war, some of them are at war with each other, that that, that there's nobody more humble than Jesus, and he demonstrates this for us in what we call the Incarnation. It just means God became a man. I have to tell this joke. I tell it every time I talk about incarnation. Some of you are like going to roll your eyes. But when you get older, you tell the same jo- jokes over and over. Come on, can I get a good amen older people in the room? Incarnation, the root word is carne. Somebody tell me what carne is. It is meat. Come on, somebody. So quite literally, Jesus is God with meat. Anybody? <laughs> Man, I need more San Antonians. Too many people are moving here from other places. San Antonians think this is funny, right? This is proof that God is not a vegetarian. All the the carnivores said amen in the house today. Just a little hillbilly theology for you this morning. Come on. Incarnation means that the creator of creations puts himself into and becomes subject to the creation. Timeless, eternal, enters into and becomes subject to time. Seated on a throne, becomes, uh, be- chooses to be born into a barn, surrounded by angels. Think about this. In heaven, singing his praises day and night, chooses to come to earth and surround himself with people who despised, rejected, the Bible says, and ultimately killed him. He's living in the richness and the splendor of heaven. He chooses to come into poverty and a kind of homelessness to suffer as the man of sorrows. This is what we're reading here. This is what Paul is trying to convey. That Jesus came to earth and veiled his glory, his power from the people. They had no idea who was walking amongst them. Verse 7, he says, rather than using his godness, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He can make himself, when he comes here, whatever he chooses to, and yet his decision is, the word is dulos, which means slave. He chooses slave. What do you choose if you're him when you come, right, president, right, king, rock star, chairman of the joint chiefs? Oprah, come on, that's pretty powerful, right? Actress, right? Or slave. Jesus, our Savior, the one who we sing to, the one who we glorify and worship, chooses servant. Simply amazing. He he empties himself of all of his rights. But on occasion, when you read the Gospels, on occasion we see a little bit, a little hint of that glory. Do you remember in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus comes up on this guy who has got demons inside of him and he starts talking to, and and they start talking to him. Most of us haven't been down that road before. Can you get an amen? Don't want them talking to me. Can I get an amen, somebody, right? None of us have walked on water or raised the dead or had demons talk to us. There's something about Jesus, that even when he's veiling his glory, he's on a whole different level than we know. And so the, this, this spirit knows him. And Jesus doesn't have to say, hey, I'm Jesus. What's your name? We got some business. He doesn't have to tell him his name. As soon as Jesus walks up, the spirit inside of this man says, I know who you are. Like, I don't need you to tell me who you are. I see, I know who you are. And so the Spirit spoke to Jesus and says, I know who you are. Have you come to torment us? And, 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 he, and, the, and the Spirit finishes with, you are the Holy One of God. So, so there are limitations to your name and mine, but there is no limit to the power of Jesus' name. And this is why I'm uninterested in building a sort of mini kingdom around my name. <clears throat> There's no real power there. But all the power in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. All of the authority has been placed in his hands. And so there, when we read the gospel, there's this terrifying righteousness of, of, of God inside of Jesus. That even when a spirit sees hero God in his presence, says, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Am I done right here? Is this over for me right now? And the answer is yes, you're done right now. And the Spirit had to leave because of Jesus and the power in His name. There was that sense of fear in Jesus where people were like, What did He just do there? And how did He just do all of that? On the one hand, you've got the grace of God stretching out to help this man who is in trouble. But on the other hand, the power and the majesty of God inside of of Jesus uh, causes the evil spirits to cry out, You are the Holy One of God. His disciples don't know who he is in this place, but these evil spirits know exactly who he is. Blind men received their sight. Crippled people walked. Dead people came back to life. Demon-possessed people were set free diseased people were made well, all in the name of Jesus. There is no other name that has this kind of power. And yet for a a time, Paul says, Jesus chose to veil it. And, And look what he goes on to say in verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, Nobody did this to him. He humbled himself. John chapter 10 says, he, he says, I lay down my life of my own volition. Nobody made me do this. I'm doing it out of my own. I can take my life. I can put it down. I can pick it back up, he says in John 10, 18. Right? He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even the death of a cross. He humbled himself. Who did? God In flesh, magnificent glory made accessible in human form. God came near. Uh, Isaiah says that he's God with us. God in the form of a servant. And not just a servant, but one who was willing to die in the worst possible way. Stripped down, naked, on a cross. In front of all of the masses, a crown of thorns pressed into his forehead. His back has been ripped open. He's had spit, spit in his face. It's dried on his face. He's being scorned, mocked, shamed. He dies the most humble, humiliating death possible. Paul says, even the death on a, look at this, this exclamation point here, cross, Why does he put that there? It's like it's meant to stop us in our tracks. It's meant us to to even sort of gasp a little bit. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dies, and he dies the shameful, horrific death of a cross. Even the death on a cross. Any other death. Any other death might retain some semblance of, of dignity and worthiness in the eyes of the ancient Jewish world, but never... Never crucifixion. If you say about your father or your son, tell me something about your dad, and you, re- you reply, he died fighting in battle for our country. There's honor. E- even in the horrifying reality of death, there's, there's a kind of triumph, there's a kind of glory to have gone out that way. But to say even the death of a cross is like saying in our day, my, my son died of lethal injection. Everybody knows what that means. He was a criminal. And he was the worst kind of criminal. This is what is implicit in the phrase, even the death of a cross. To to the Jewish mind, this is inconceivable because of Deuteronomy 21. And it says, cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree. Cursed is anyone who dies the way Jesus does. So every shred Every last shred of dignity is torn from him, even the death of a cross. Go go backwards with me for a moment. Now picture the scene in the garden. He tells Peter, James, John, would you pray with me? Would you come and pray with me? And he leaves them just off a little ways. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's crying out to his father, Father, if it is possible, Let this cup pass from me. So so great is his desire to not have to go through what lies ahead that the word says he prayed with such a fervency that sweat like great drops of blood appear on his forehead as the weight of what was about to happen to him is unfolding. And not just the pain and the shame of the cross, he was willing to do that, but literally the stored up cup of God's wrath for all the sins of humanity is about to be poured out upon Jesus and he knows this. All of our sins... Every sin for all of humanity, both past, present, and future, is about to be poured out upon Jesus. And we forget that Jesus is here asking his father, please don't pour your cup of wrath out on me. Please spare me this kind of death. But Paul says in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son. the, The father cannot spare him. God spares Isaac from the knife in Abraham's hand, but he will not spare Jesus, his only son, from an agonizing death on the cross. Why? Why won't he do this? Because of his great love for you and for me and because somebody has to pay the price for our redemption, for our salvation so, down comes humanity, Paul says. Uh, Down comes deity into humanity. Not just into humanity, but into a kind of servitude, into a kind of slavery for us. And, And not just into slavery. Down comes deity into death. Even the unspeakably shameful death. The cursed death of the cross. The death that proclaims this one bears the condemnation and the wrath of God and of man. Down comes deity into the death of the cross. Do do you know what this means? To you and for me. Do you know what it means for us? It means that there are no depths deeper than the abyss of the cross. Enduring unimaginable agony of body. the, The rejection of his own people. His own followers the silence of his own father, the full weight of of our sins upon his shoulder, the the white hot fury of, of heaven's justice because of our rebellion. All of this is pressing down on him and Jesus plums the depths of pain and humiliation and abandonment and rejection and grief. He goes all the way down to the very bottom. There may be realms of regions of loss and suffering and sorrow and grief and pain in your heart right now that is so profound that you, you can barely acknowledge them as you try to just keep your head above water. Maybe for something that's happened over the last few weeks or months or this last year. Pa- pain so deep that you feel no one could possibly... Understand, maybe, except for Jesus. I, I don't know how lonely you feel right now, but He does. Father, why have you forsaken me? As He looks from that cross. None of his followers there. All have fled. All have run off. Some of them would come back. I don't know what kind of loneliness you feel, but he knows. I I don't know what kind of shame you feel uh, about your past, about what you've done or what's been done to you, but he's felt unimaginable shame and condemnation as he hung there suffering the most humiliating death possible crucified on that cross. I don't know what you're dealing with, but, but trust me. He knows. He knows because he's been there. This is love. This is what Paul is saying to you. How much more could God love than that? How much more could the Father love me that he gave and he did not spare his own son for me? He handed him over to this horrific death so that when you're going into this Easter season and you remember the cross is the unspeakable, indescribable proof that God is for you and that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And listen, I know because I've had all the same excuses it has nothing to do with your worthiness or your goodness paul says in other places that god foreknew you which means that he knew you long before you were ever born and you know what that means is that means i can be secure in the love of the father because it existed before i ever failed him it was out of the love that he saved me even when i was at my worst romans 5 says you're secure in his love because he, his love rested upon you before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 2 says. Before and in full view of all of my failures, God put his love upon me. He made a decision long ages ago that I was worth it, that you were worth it. He did not spare his only son. That's how much he loves you. And Romans 8 says And nothing can separate you from that love. John 3 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have. what? What, what is it? Everlasting life for your sake and for mine, he came all the way down to the deepest, deepest depths. And but Paul is not done here in Philippians 2 because he didn't stay on that cross can I get an amen from somebody and he didn't stay in that tomb can I get another good amen somebody and he he, he isn't still humbled and a kind of servant for our sakes, he's already run that race and because he ran that race, Paul is now going to say that his humiliation has given way to his glorification and his exaltation because it says here that therefore in light of what Jesus, what I just described to you, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. So God exalted him when doubting Thomas in the upper room, seeing the marks and and the nail prints in his hands and feet and his wounds in his thighs, bows low on his knees and says, My Lord and my God, God highly exalted him when before the eyes of his disciples, he ascended into glory. And there he sits now, there he sits now, exalted above every name, enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will remain reigning because Isaiah says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. It's always increasing. It's always getting larger. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He rose and now he reigns for all times, over all people. Matthew 25 describes... What, what is happening here? It says, when all of humanity, Jesus is describing this from Adam until the day, that day finally, this day finally happens, when everyone is, dis- is assembled around the throne of God and of the Lamb, there is this vast multitude filling the whole limits of, of our horizon. And, and Jesus says, there's a great division that will be made, the sheep and the goats, two, two groups of humanity, the wheat from the chaff, there, there are those who refused in their lifetime to bow their, their lives to Jesus, those who rebelled and lived as they were their own king, their own kind of God, and they would not trust his gospel of grace. And then there were those who did, and, and they are separated. And they will; those people will hear, the first group will hear this, this, the, say, the sentence Jesus says, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And they will be sentenced, he says, to outer darkness. And then there will be those who believe the gospel who in their lives gratefully bowed the knee um, to Jesus and confessed him as Lord of their lives, and they are bidden to enter into the Lord's glory forever. But before all of this happens, before this great division is made from the throne, a loud voice cries out from somewhere, the name of Jesus is spoken out. And from the epicenter of the throne of God, a mighty wave sweeps ever outward until every single knee buckles under the weight and the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. And in one breath, every tongue confesses aloud. And that includes all those who doubted him and all those who mocked him. And in our ever increasingly secular society, those who denounce him, every one of those people will buckle at the name of Jesus. And they will go to their knees and they will cry out that you are Lord to to the glory of God the Father. Every person who loved him will confess his majesty, his power, his lordship. He is and he will be highly exalted, Paul says. And today, were you and I to see Jesus as he is, we would see him exalted in glory we would see him as John the Revelator sees him in the book of Revelation, seated upon a throne, ruling over angels and demons and men and women and the young and the old and the rich and the poor and the brown and the black and the white and the foolish and the simple over high and over everybody who's low. We would see him exalted, lifted up. And I, see, I want you to see the exaltation that, that Paul is describing the way John saw it. He gives us a glimpse into what's happening right now in heaven. Chapter four, we read about that throne that I just described to you. Chapter five is where we're coming in. We see a dilemma. John says, and I saw, you guys all right so far? I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scrolls or even look inside of it? And this is a problem John knows. The next verse says, and John says, I wept. And I wept because nobody was worthy. Because in the scrolls is the unfolding of the end of the age. It's the climax of, of God's redemptive salvation plan. And, and it's the way He's going to banish Satan into hell forever and lift us up to a place where there are no more tears, y'all. There is no more sorrow. Nobody's ever going to die. No more sickness. No more pain, no more suffering. And it's in the scroll, but nobody can open it. John is weeping because there's a story hidden, but nobody can open the story. There's a victory coming, but nobody can unlock the victory. And then John describes that there was a pause in heaven, and then someone steps forward, it says. And we see that happen in verse 6. And he says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. This is Jesus, by the way. And he takes the scroll. And when he does, when he takes the scroll, every one present goes face down before the majesty and the glory of Jesus The angels bow down. The elders fall down. The living creatures fall down. And they begin to sing a new song. And here's what they're singing. Who is worthy to break? You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were. This is why Jesus is worthy. Because you were slain. And with your blood that was poured out on the cross... You purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Revelation 8 and 1 says that there will be 30 minutes of silence in heaven, but nobody really knows why. Nobody knows for sure, but based on the text, I'd love to just use my imagination. Maybe this is a possibility. I have to think that when we are gathered there, the bride of Christ, when we get our first glimpse of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who purchased our salvation, who took on the cup of God's wrath for us, when when we see him, the, the greatness of our God, the one our even without realizing it, that our souls have longed to see because God placed eternity in our hearts. In Ecclesiastes, we learn this. He placed this this longing for, for God in our hearts. When we see him for the first time, we are left with nothing to say. We are stunned into silence. But here's what we'll be thinking. You you are the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You are stunning. In fact, you're scaring us to death right now because of your beauty, because of your splendor, because of your blinding radiance. Do you realize that heaven is lit up completely by the face of Jesus? That's how bright he is. Pure radiance. His pure radiance is all the light we'll ever need there. There is no hint of darkness. Nothing less than the beauty and the radiance of God. And maybe we stand there for 30 minutes, mouths dropped to the floor. As we look around and we see what John saw, this city, streets of gold, Jasper Walls, the city 1,500 miles tall, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, a river of crystal. We see this, and you start to feel the tension rise. You can feel that palpably. But then, when our eyes fix on the object of our affection, the Lamb of God, when we Find our collective voices. There's going to be a shout, John says, Like the world has never heard before, voices raised in unison, the largest choir assembled in human history, all singing a new song to Jesus Christ, lifting an anthem of worship to the only one who is worthy. And nobody's sitting with arms crossed and and skeptical, and nobody's looking at anybody like, you've lost your mind right now. Everybody is on their knees, just full on arms lifted high, crying out, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And John describes it for us in verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And all of it is in them Singing. Are you catching what's happening right here? This is a crowd like nobody's ever seen in all of human history. We've never heard anything like this. This is beyond history. There's never been a sound like this, and they finished the song. To him who is worthy, or who sits on the throne, and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and forever. But why is everybody singing this song? John says, because he was the only one who was worthy and he was worthy because of the cross as a result of what Jesus has done, this downward act that Paul describes in Philippians into poverty and shame and pain, all so that you and I might have life. Because of that, God has exalted him and given him a name above every other name. All of heaven uh, and every person and tribe and language and people group is singing the song that David prophesies about in Psalm 96 because there is nobody like Jesus. There is no other name above Jesus' name. There's no power like the power that is in the name of Jesus. Demons tremble at the sound of the name of Jesus. If you're ever just fearful and afraid, you just say the name of Jesus and watch what happens in your heart and in your life. There is deliverance for whatever might encircle you or enslave you in the name of Jesus. There's salvation in the name of Jesus and in the name of Jesus, listen to me, alone. I don't care what our secular culture says. I don't care what, what, what is being told to us. There is only one way to God, and that is through the name of Jesus. Salvation is found in no other name than the name of Jesus. Amen, somebody. Here's how this is all relevant for you tonight today. Do you know what it means that he humbled himself? Do you know what it means for you and for me that he emptied himself? Do you know what it means that he went and suffered the death, even a death of a cross? It means that no matter what your sin is, no matter what my sin is, and they are many, no matter what your stain, no matter what your brokenness, no matter your hurts, no matter your challenges, because of Jesus and what he did, Jesus paid it all. Yeah, but Danny, you don't, you don't know my story. You don't know my background. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what I've done. Jesus paid it all. And what that means to you and how this is relevant is the thing that he did, the thing that he accomplished, his mercy, his grace here this morning, his love and his forgiveness right here, right now, all we do is believe it and we can receive it. That's what Romans 10 says. We can believe it in our hearts that Jesus died on a cross. We can confess him with our mouths. You are Lord, and in that moment, Everything can change. So Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you as we enter into this Easter season, God, that we, we remind ourselves, we remember what it is that we're doing. This is not just a, a tradition. This is not just a, a mark on the calendar. God became a man and suffered even the death of a cross so that we might have the opportunity to have life and have it more abundantly. So that we might remember why it is that we gather in this space in the first place why we sing the songs, why we lift our hands, why we clap, why we celebrate you week after week after week. Why do we do this? Because you are the only one who is worthy. And when it all is said and done, this is what we will do for all of eternity. We will gather and we will sing praises to you because of what you've done for us. So, Lord, if there's anyone in this room today, if there's anyone watching with us, worshiping with us online, who has never bowed the knee, who has never given their hearts to Jesus, we want to be, Lord, on the right side of that deal in Matthew 25. We want to be on the right side of that deal. We do that just by saying, Lord Jesus, come live inside of me. Come make your home in me. God, I would ask that you would be the forgiver of my sins, that what you did on the cross, I believe that. I, I just saw it with my own eyes. I believe that. I receive that right now, your grace, your love, your forgiveness, oh God, give it to me, I pray. in Jesus, I want to I confess you as the Lord of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to I live the way you want me to live. I want to do this all because of who you are. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap, would you? Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsacom slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.